Hey, how you doing, Oikos Church? Uh, it's so good to um to see you tonight, and what a blessing it has been to be here already. Hearing you guys sing praises together, it's just really lifted my soul, and I'm just so thankful to be here. My name's Steve Chong, and um, I'm the founder and director of a thing called the Rice Movement. Uh, which is a large gathering of Asian youth who are on about Jesus and they're on about proclaiming Him. And that movement has grown up all around Sydney, uh, in Melbourne and beginning in Auckland. And we start to see a really big movement over uh, on the east side of Australia and further east, which is New Zealand. And uh, and um, we are just really thankful for what God's doing. And um, I'm married to a lovely woman named Naomi. She's great. I like her. She's wonderful. And um, uh, we've been married for 13 years. We don't have one, not two, not three. We have four children. So, um, you know, we're just crazy and busy and just, um, I reckon I reckon Dex is going to get up to four kids. What do you reckon, Dex and Demi? Yes, yes. <laughs> 13. 13 kids. Wow, there we go. You could go 12 kids and just kind of have one for each tribe of Israel. You know, just go do that. Hey, um, <laughs> you know, I am... Um, I feel so blessed to be here. And the most important thing I, I feel is that um, every time um, this word is opened, I, I really firmly believe that God has promised that his word never returns to him empty. Who believes that? I really want you to hang on to that promise today. Do you understand that God has promised that His Word, when it goes out, He's in the book of Isaiah, that when it goes out, it doesn't return to Him void, doesn't return to Him empty. It comes back to Him with fruit, with the fruit of changed lives. Let me tell you, that promise is what I'm claiming today. I really do believe that that's the reason why Dexter can get up and say, your lives won't be the same. Because I really believe that your life, my life, that as His Word goes out, by His Spirit, when His Spirit touches our lives, it changes. You know, um, I don't know most of you here, but the cool thing is that God knows each of you intimately. He knew exactly who's going to be here. He knew exactly where you're going to sit. And He knows exactly what He wants. And what He wants is He wants to see your life become more like Jesus Christ, to give your life more fully devoted to him to be all in and so um that's with uh, with that that's what i'm gonna go for today i'm, I'm just gonna go in that confidence and i'm expecting that lives will be changed and i'm gonna pray for that um right now i'm gonna pray that god actually changed our lives i mean especially on today you know of all days you know like um uh, i'm not sure if you guys know that today is pentecost sunday you know that so it's you know 40 days after easter uh, where we celebrate, not the important, we've celebrated Jesus' death, we celebrate Jesus' resurrection, and now we celebrate, celebrate the next big thing that Jesus did, which is he poured his spirit out on the church. That happened with a small group of disciples huddled in a room over, just over 2,000 years ago. And God poured his spirit out in the church and empowered them for boldness. It wouldn't surprise me if God by His Spirit empowered us in that same way today. And I'm looking for it. And I believe that that happens in this small little room that we're in, that God can use that to change the whole city of Perth. Who believes that? So let's pray. Let's ask God to speak to us. Father God, Your Word never returns to You empty. Thank You for that promise. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would give me exactly the words that you want to say. I pray, Father, that the words that come out of my mouth would not make any attention to myself, but draw entirely to Jesus. And I pray, Lord God, that tonight you, by your Holy Spirit, would take the words of Scripture and you would press them home exactly where we need it. Lord God, I don't know these people, but you know them so well. And so, Lord God, in that knowledge of what they need, I pray that you would take your words and feed them today. Use this group of people, just like you did to a small group of disciples 2,000 years ago, empowered by your Spirit, to go out in boldness.
for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so who can remember the first time you ever learnt to ride a bicycle. You can remember that? So, I mean, it's apparently one of the most powerful memories you can uh, ever have. It's like um, some people can probably say, say some people can remember like the, the colour of your bike or where you were, who taught you? Who, who, can, who can remember who taught you? Put your hand up if you remember who taught you how to ride a bicycle. Um, you know, that's a powerful memory, but actually there's a, a, another powerful memory that you kind of move on to with bicycles and that's when you have children and you teach them how to ride a bike. Man, teaching a child to ride a bike is like the most, it just, it's just illogical, right? It doesn't even make sense. Like you can, this is, this is two wheeled thing. And you've got this, you know, you've got this, this kid who you've been used to caring for and, and being, making safe in the world. And somehow you have to put them on this thing. And what you have to do is it apparently makes sense to set to, to pedal and tell them that you're going to let go. And push and push them off, and you know it's just the, it's the most bizarre memory that I've got of of uh, encouraging our kids to ride a bike. Like I remember the first time I taught. I've got a ten year old and eight year old boy, and then a six year old and a four year old girl. And I remember the first time I taught my say um, uh, my eight year old boy to ride a bike. He was five years old, and I just remember that feeling of putting him on the bicycle, and he's sitting on the bicycle, and I said to him, "Okay, Jakey." Here's what we're going to do. And, I, and he said, tell me what I have to do. And I said, here's what's going to happen, right? I'm going to push you. And, and, and he's looking at me just like, you don't love me. Like, it's like, it's like what's happening? And then and I said, All you need, it's very easy. I said, you just need to pedal and look forward. <laughs> and he goes, okay. And I said, and at some point, I'm just going to push you and it's going to be fine. And, you know, that feeling I remember of him getting on the bike and he's going to have that moment where he has to trust me. And I'm thinking, don't trust me. This is like, I mean, just, he's there and he's on the bicycle and he's looking at me and he looks up and he goes, okay, daddy, ready? Like, and in my mind, I've, got to, I've just got to say it really confidently. So, yes, we're ready. I'm just like, no, we're not. Right. And, and, then, and then I hold the back of the bicycle and we, and we start, he starts pedaling. And that moment when he's pedaling, right? And that feeling, and he just starts pedaling. And he's like going, and he, and he yells out, and he, Daddy! And I'm like, yeah, I'm right here, I'm right here. I'm holding on the bicycle, right? And he's like, he's like um, don't let go. So I'm not letting go, don't worry. I'm like, I'm going to let go soon. Right? <laughs> and I just feel like I've just got no integrity as a father anymore, right? And then, and then I'm like, I'm there, and, he's, and he starts pedaling. And then you get to the bit, and he's pedaling, and he's pedaling, and he's pedaling. And he gets to the end, and, and then you see a little slope. <laughs> and he goes... Daddy, there's a slope. And I say, no, no. It's not a slope. It's a slope. I mean, you'll be fine. Just keep looking forward. And then that crazy moment, right? This is the most counter, counter, counterintuitive moment for a father, right? And when you, he, he's pedaling and you see the slope, he needs a little bit of a slope to get some speed here. And then you do that moment where you push. And you just close your eyes because you know, <laughs> it's like at the other end, you know, we're going to get a scraped knee and you know that scraped knee is necessary. But you just go and he's like, Daddy, don't let go. And I'm like, don't worry. I'm not letting go. And I'm like, I'm about to do it. In my mind, I'm, I'm working myself. Three, two, don't let go. No, I'm not going to let go. Three, two, one, push. And that moment when he's pedaling, he's like, he's like, are you still there? I'm like, Yeah. <laughs> And he's pedaling. And that, I tell you, the only moment that beats that is the moment when it works. And I'm telling you, there's a moment that I, when I don't know how to tell you how proud you get, right? And he starts pedaling and he's pedaling and then he goes, and he's doing it right. And he goes, Daddy, he goes, I'm doing it. And you're, I'm just at the back going, I'm the best father in the world. And off he goes, man. Give it a clap for Jacob. He's riding and he's doing that whole thing. And he is just going. And I tell you, that moment of pushing out is so counterintuitive. But he loves riding the bike. And you know what happened? That was really interesting. He got into bicycle riding. He was going around and around every day. Every day he wanted to go to the park, ride the bicycle. And then 
Um, one day he had a fall, like not a really bad fall, but a kind of a decent fall where he kind of fell over and, you know, got a bit tangled in the bicycle when I was so far away on the other side of the oval and a, some stranger came to help him. And, you know, it was, it was like, so that, you know, you have a stranger moment. It's like this, it was a really huge guy. It's like six foot five guy. He comes over, he's like, you're okay, son. You know, and this guy comes over and, 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 and Jacob kind of got a bit kind of discouraged by that. And then what happened was, uh, it was interesting. I just noticed he stopped asking to ride the bicycle. And then after a while, the bicycle is in the garage collecting dust and um, starts to get dust on it and it's getting piled up with other things on top of it. And this is the weirdest conversation I had with him about bicycle riding. And I remember going up to him and saying, hey, Jacob, we haven't taken the bicycle out for ages, like six months. You, you want to go ride bicycle? And he looked at me with total, like, um, like he wasn't mucking around. He really meant this. He said... I don't know how to ride a bicycle. And I'm like, unless that was some other Asian kid I was driving around like, I'm, riding, I was, I'm pretty sure it was you, right? And he's like, no, nope, I can't ride a bicycle. I'm dead. Yes, you can. I was there. But what had happened was he had had that fall and he'd convinced himself that it doesn't work for him anymore. That's the picture of faith. For us. So many of us can remember that time when we maybe first came to faith or a time when you were riding high and you were all in and the tires of faith were pumped up and you were ready to ride and you're ready to go and then a fall happens and then something tough happens and you start getting a little bit shaky on that and you're you, you put the, the, the bicycle back in the, in the garage or, or the tires of faith, you might say, start getting flat. And the dust starts collecting and, and, and you forget how to live by faith. I really believe that this is one of the most significant issues. As I go around to different churches around the world, I see one similar thing that continues to happen. And that is that people, Christians everywhere, who really ought to be people who understand that they are empowered by the Holy Spirit and they can, run, they can step boldly in faith through life. I see Christians shrinking back. Everywhere I go, I see Christians shrinking back. And then I look at my life and I see myself shrinking back. And I believe what the Lord needs to talk to us today about is how to keep stepping in faith. What will happen if this church, Oikos, actually decides to let God fill up their tires of faith? What would happen if this church gets so bold about stepping towards God and Jesus' way? I'm going to tell you what would happen. There is no way that these four wars could contain the impact that this group of people can and will have empowered by the Spirit for Jesus Christ. And today, that is the, if I can leave anything with you, that's the gift I want to try and leave with you today. How do you as a church, how do you as an individual step boldly towards Jesus in faith? You know, um. What I'm going to say is that today I'm going to give you two, I'm going to say pillars, but maybe they're more like um, handlebars of the bike. Let's call them two handlebars today. Two handlebars that you need to hang on to. And I really believe that if you actually let go of either one of these two things, they're very simple things. You can, they're not, it's not rocket science. Most of, the, most, of, most of the scripture isn't actually. It's just simple kind of stuff. Here it is. There's two things I'm going to give you today that you need to hang on to and if you hold on to those two things the handlebars of faith then you can step forward you can pedal forward you can go boldly in faith so let's get to it before I get give you tell you what those two things are I'm going to take you to the Bible I love God's word and in Exodus chapter 2 Exodus is one of my who likes the book of Exodus yeah popo okay so the, the book of Exodus is one of, one of my favorite books and Exodus chapter 2 is a fascinating passage because what you're going to see is you're going to see in there, hidden inside there, the two handlebars that you need to hang on to to be able to step forward in faith. Um, it's about uh, the birth of an incredible person named Moses. Now, 
what you want to see is the context of Exodus chapter 2. In Exodus chapter 2, what you need to understand is that we're stepping into a part of Scripture that's a horrible time. It's actually not a horrible understatement, actually. If you look at the, 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 the verse just before the start of Exodus chapter 2, it says this, Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Can you just imagine this? Imagine you live right now as a Hebrew. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile. I'm just going to tell you, sometimes, I mean, I grew up in Sunday school and I just read this. I mean, it's like, oh yeah, it's like an interesting story. You know, like it's fascinating. I'm, even my kids, sometimes they read the kid's Bible and they read a line like that. And I just, I never know what to say because they just read it and they just kind of read, oh yeah, sure, sure. So all the boys had to be killed, thrown in the river. And I was like, <laughs> I was like you can't say that. You know, like it's intense, right? It's genocide, isn't it, right? It's genocide. And so we step into a time for God's people where there should be so much discouragement because of the persecution that's happening. So much discouragement because of this genocide that is happening. And I want you to imagine what that would be like. I mean, just get your head around it for a second. I mean, imagine what it would be like for, for, for mothers and they're giving birth and you can imagine the screams and the wails as, 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 as soldiers, Egyptian soldiers barge in there, take babies, newborn babies, the most precious things on earth. And takes these lives and throws them into the river. You know, and in such troubled times, a couple dares to get married. And have a look at this in verse 1 of chapter 2. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. And she became pregnant. Now, I want you to know that, so I've had four children. And, um, and... You know, you don't really have a, you know, when you're a parent expecting a kid, you don't have a preference for this boy or girl because the the right thing to say is, God will give me whatever. And that's true, right? That's true. But deep down, I know that sometimes a preference, but particularly, particularly after I had boy, boy, you know what I want, don't you? All right. You know what I want? So I was going for that girl. I wanted a little girl, right? And of course, I'm, t- I'm telling you, I'm okay with anything. God, please give us a girl. <laughs> right. You know, but of course, I wouldn't have everything. And I just, you know, but you know, the truth is, this is the deal. Can you imagine this couple? They're pregnant. Imagine their prayers for a girl. My goodness. This is a next level. And they are praying and praying and praying for a girl and then the baby comes and that line that should be so joyous that you hear in the movies when the midwife says, it's a... And that moment that should have been a joyous line, she says, it's a, it's a boy. And this horrific news for this family, for this mum should have crippled her. And let me tell you something. This mum is gutsy. Do you want to see it? Look at this. So in verse 2, she became pregnant. She gave birth to a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Do you know how hard it is to hide a newborn baby? I haven't tried, but I... But <laughs> But I can imagine it'll be hard. They're noisy. They, they don't, you don't hide a baby, right? That is a really hard thing to do. Dexter and Demi, you're about to understand this, right? You're about to understand there is nothing quiet or uh, that you can tuck away. You can't tuck away a baby. But she decides to do this. She decides to do this. And, you know, it's fascinating. The, this book of Exodus has so many beautiful moments. And if you were, if you were to read this book, um, this verse in, in the original language in the, in the Hebrew, um, you know, Exodus is part of one book, actually, in the Old Testament. Do you guys know that? So there's one book at the start of the Old Testament called the Pentateuch, which has five books that we've got in there, which are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. One book written by one author. And therefore, you can expect heaps of parallels between all the different books, yeah, uh, in that thing. And so what you've got is, interestingly, in the, in the, in the words in Hebrew here, see if, you, see if this sounds like anything from from. Genesis, I'll give you a clue. Genesis, ready? Um, the actual Hebrew says, she, when she looked at him, she saw that he was good. When have, when have you heard the phrase, and it was good? In Genesis chapter 1, 
and it was good and it was good and it was good. And so what that's marking actually is that even in the midst of this horrific situation, there's about to be a new season, a new start, a new moment, just like it was when God created the world. And she looks at this baby, she saw that he was, a, he was good and she hid him for three months. And then when she could hide him no longer, verse three, this moment is unbelievable, almost unimaginable. She grabs this baby and she makes a basket and she takes this basket down to the Nile River and forget about pushing a bicycle out. Can you imagine how counterintuitive this would be? I mean, just imagine being a mum and being right there at the edge of the Nile River. And the Nile River is not a small river, just so you know. I've been to the Nile River. It's big, right? (laughs) And it's wide and it's fast. And do you know what's in the Nile River? Crocodiles in the Nile River, right? And hippos, which are apparently dangerous too. And and can you imagine that moment where this mum takes this precious, beautiful little boy, puts this baby into a basket and that moment when she stays at the edge of the river and she pushes. It would go against every instinct. You know what's fascinating? You guys know the story. Some of you know it. And you know right now God's about to do a good thing. But before we jump to that good thing, you've got to feel it. Moses' mom didn't know that, but she went for it. She went for it. And what's fascinating is, uh, you know, ironically, Pharaoh said, throw the babies into the Nile. And almost in a creative act of disobedience, <laughs> she has pushed her baby into the Nile. And that's beautiful irony because it's like Pharaoh thinks he's in charge, but God's like, all right, we'll use your rule. All right, we'll use your rule and we'll show you who's boss. Nothing scares God. Nothing. The biggest issue that you are up against right now, and I know some of them are big for you. Some of them, you've got, you've got health issues, you've got a family member who's unwell or you've got issues at work or whatever it is. And if you're going through those things, or I'm sorry for you and I'm really feel, I really feel sorry. At the same time, when I say this, God's not scared of those issues. Sometimes he even uses those issues to achieve his purposes. And in this instance, God said, all right, you want to throw babies in the Nile? Let's do this. And the basket goes out. And what's really amazing is in uh, verse 4, they've got an older child actually, and his sister started to watch what's going to happen to this basket. Now, this sister, you have to understand, I can, can you imagine what she's thinking? Like as she watches the basket, because what happens is the mother then says, go and see what's going to happen. So she tells the, the older sister, I mean, far out. Can you imagine being that older sister? It's like, what? this is a bad day for her family. Like, I mean, it's like she's there and like the basket's going out and there goes bye-bye baby brother and mum's like, go and have a watch and there's crocodiles there, by the way. You know, like... like <laughs> And can you imagine this, this sister just like, what is up? This day sucks. And she's out there and, man, anyone know her name, by the way? Miriam. Wow, oh, look at the Bible scholars in this room. And Miriam then goes and she watches this basket go down. And you can imagine her thinking, what's going to happen? Like, is a, a crocodile going to get it? Is, is, is a hippo going to chomp it up? Is if that's what they do? And, um, you know, what's going to happen? Will this, will the basket get found? It will be found by Egyptian or a Hebrew. Maybe the basket will get all the way out, just get out of the way of Egypt or where will it land? What will happen? And she goes there and she watches. And can you imagine Miriam there? And she's watching the basket. She's like, oh, the basket goes around the corner and she watches and then she's like, someone's coming. And she's like, who's it going to be? Please don't be an Egyptian. And she's watching the person starts coming down. And of all people, it's not just an Egyptian. (laughs) This story could not get any worse. It's not just an Egyptian. It's the daughter of the man who has ordered all babies to be killed. 
And Pharaoh's daughter is coming down just at that time for a bath. And this Pharaoh's daughter, I mean, like just then, why does she have to have a bath just then? She's taking the bath right now. She comes down there and just at that same point, she comes down there and she sees this basket. Now in, in, in chapter 2, verse 6, it says, First five, Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were walking on the riverbank. She saw the basket, she saw the baby and he was crying and she felt sorry for him. And she said, this is one of the Hebrew babies. Now, if you look in the, if you, if you could read the Hebrew language here, there's a really interesting thing that happens. There's actually four verbs that happen. What happens is, um, there's four things that happen. She comes down, right? She sees the baby. She has, compa- like the cries come up and she has compassion on the baby and she draws him out of the water. Got it? Now, if you, you want me to stretch these guys a bit? Give them a stretch? All right, all right, we'll give them a stretch. Okay. In the Old Testament, God's people Israel are referred to as God's son. And out of Egypt, it says, God calls his son. And that's how he rescues the whole people of Israel. Everyone following me so far? And what happens is there's four verbs that happen with God in the Old Testament that, ha- that tends to happen. What happens is this. It's, it's the same four verbs. God sees. God hears their cries come up from Egypt. He has compassion on them. So God comes down, he sees, he has compassion on them, and then he draws them out of Egypt. You guys with me so far? Why are those four verbs there? Because they're trying to show us the Hebrew person's reading this ready originally, and they're reading this going, ha, ha, ha. And they're going, I see what's going on here. It looks so bad, this story. It looks so bad, but these verbs are exactly the same thing that God does to us. And so they're looking, man, it's Pharaoh's daughter. We're reading the story going, oh man, it's Pharaoh's Pharaoh's daughter. But if you're reading it through with the Hebrew eyes, you would be like, okay, here comes God. God is about to move even through this situation. And so what happens is this. She then picks up this baby who's crying. And um, she's like, you know, the baby needs food. And I'm telling you, this little sister, she is amazing. Put your hand up if you've got a sister. Good. Now, put your hand down. Anyone got a sister in this room? Who thinks your sister's amazing? Don't tell me. Oh, some hands went down. Some hands went down. <laughs> Come back to us. This girl is the sister who you want to have. Miriam is so fast and so quick because the, the Vera's daughter is there and you'd be freaking out if you're a little girl named, named, like Miriam. And Vera's daughter is there holding the baby and Miriam's there. And instead of just totally freezing, she is quick. She's like a, she's a genius, this girl. She's, she's probably Asian. And no, <laughs> I'm joking. And this little not Asian girl, Miriam, she is like, I'm going to move. I'm going to go for this, man. And so what happens is this. She's holding the baby. She sees, instead of fear, she sees an opportunity. It's no wonder she becomes a, a great leader of the Exodus later on. So what she does is she jumps in. And she goes, oh, the baby's hungry. And the Pharaoh's daughter's like, yes. And, 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 and Miriam, Miriam then says, it needs some food. And Pharaoh's daughter's like, yes. And then Miriam says, oh, would you like me to get someone to feed this baby? Pharaoh's daughter's, yes. And then Miriam's like, I know I happen to know just a person. And in one of the most incredible moments in all of Scripture, Miriam then goes off and gets Moses' mum, who minutes before, in tears, has just said goodbye to her baby. And moments later, here is Pharaoh's daughter who says, go and get me someone to feed this baby. And by the way, I'll pay her for it. In the verse it says, I will pay her for doing it. And so this woman who moments ago pushed this basket out in tears, moments later has her baby back in her arms, feeding the baby, and she's paid. <laughs> Give it up for God. Come on. 
A woman in poverty in tears is now paid to raise her own. She's paid, she's paid to be, a, this is every mother's dream. Paid to, to, you know, to look after your kid, right? Unbelievable, you know? Incredible, incredible story. Incredible story. You know, this mum, she had to let go of her baby, but she also had to do it again because the deal was that when he gets to the right age of weaning, and that age is probably about six years old in that Cayman culture, they say, he would have, she would have had to bring him back to, to Egypt, right, to the Egyptian courts and give him back, uh, back to her, to, the, to Pharaoh's daughter. And so she would have had to do that again. And so she had to do it twice. And they called this baby Moses. Now, what is this thing about? How does this link to the bicycle and the two handlebars that we need to hang on to in order to step forward in faith. How on earth can we do that? Now, I want you to stick with me here because I'm going to tell you them two and they're going to be, the reason why I told you to stick with me is that some of them are so simple that one of them, the first word is so simple, you can be like, I've heard this like a million times, but I don't want you to, I want you to hear it fresh. The first handlebar of faith that you see in this scripture, passage we've read, is the word salvation. Everyone say salvation. salvation. That's good. Now, you know what? Here's the deal. I'm going to say to you this. It is impossible to step boldly in faith if you do not hang on to and be amazed continually by the greatest news on the earth that Jesus Christ has saved you from your sins, that Jesus Christ has secured your eternity. Who understands that? And I want to say to you today that if you start, I'm going to do the reverse actually. If you are starting to lose your ability to step forward in faith, if you start to lose your ability to step boldly towards all that God's called you to do, then it's, I'm almost certain that you're losing your wonder of the cross. And today it's as simple as that. You know, this whole passage is about salvation. You know, um, apart from the obvious that this baby is saved through this process, I mean, there's incredible plays on words that are going on here. I mean, for example, um, do, do you know, the, 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 the basket, right? The basket. Some of you may know this. I, I was really just amazed when I first read this, I remember. But you know that the, the Old Testament word in Hebrew for basket is actually used only one other place in Scripture, you know that? So, so the word that we have translated here as basket is actually used only one other place in Scripture. And that Old Testament word we have that's the other place is actually translated differently in English. And anyone know what that Old Testament word is? Who knows it? Anyone know? Oh man, smart guy at the back there. What is it? Amazing. Amazing. You know what? Ark. Who, who was that, man? That was Justin. Look at that, man. Wasn't he the guy working my sound before? Mate, you got the theologian on the sound desk, man. Like, it's amazing. So, like, you see, the only other time this word is used is the word ark, A-R-K, for the word for basket. Please tell me that not just Justin, but some other people here can think of another time in Scripture. <laughs> another time in, in, in the book of Genesis where, uh, where, where God saved the world through an ark. And who was on that ark? Noah. And this time a different ark was put in dangerous waters. Not the Nile that time, but in the flood that covered the earth. And, you know, if you want to know how sure I am of this, it's fascinating. If you actually later on check it out in Genesis chapter 6, verse 14, um, it's fascinating. Noah is told in Genesis chapter 6, 14, to cover, when he's making the ark, to cover and coat the ark with tar and pitch. Did you see what the mother was told to do? The mother made a basket covering with tar and pitch. In verse 3, you're meant to read it immediately and go, look at this story. What is going on here is another ark. What's going on here is another moment of salvation. Who's with me? And see, what you need to see is this. This story is all about salvation. Stories of salvation in the midst of death. The story of salvation in the midst of death is the Christian story, actually. The great ark is a man named Jesus Christ. And I want to say to some of you today who are listening to this and thinking, this is all going over my head, 
Because some of you do not yet have a relationship with Jesus. Some of you might have even been going along to church for a little while or just coming along for and gone through the motions. I did that for ages, by the way. I just went along with my parents and did that kind of thing. But never took me a moment when someone had to say to me, are you in the ark? Are you actually there with Jesus Christ? Have you given your life to Him? For those of us who already have done that, so if you haven't done that, I can tell you why you're here today. It's definitely to do that. And I want to talk to you about it later. Definitely. But let me tell you, have you lost your wonder of the cross? Because I want to say to you today that beyond a shadow of a doubt, if you have lost your, your, your wonder of what Jesus Christ has done for you, you're going to start stepping backwards in faith. If you lose your grip on salvation, then you cannot step boldly out there. So the first handlebar of faith is salvation. Everyone say salvation. salvation. That's it. You see, um, the next thing is something fascinating. And the next, the next handlebar is not called salvation. It all starts with S. It's the word sovereignty. Sovereignty. Everyone say sovereignty. sovereignty. So we've got salvation and sovereignty. I'm going to tell you, if you hold on to these two things, you can pedal straight. Okay. So sovereignty. It's fascinating this story because if you look through the whole chapter of Exodus chapter 2 that we just read, if you look through, there's a whole bunch of characters in there, but there's one character missing. Did you notice? There's a character in Exodus chapter 2 that's missing. You, you don't actually hear the name God. So he doesn't say, I mean, you all listening to him go, yeah, 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 God's there, God's there, yeah, I got it. But you don't hear, and then God did this, and then God moved the basket, and then God did this, and then God did that. You see, we sit here and we know that God's through the passage. But God's name is not through here. And so today, Oikos, I want to tell you, because in a world where people do not talk about the name of God readily, do not talk about God's name, I want to say to you this, the absence of God's name is not the absence of His presence. The absence of God's name is not the absence of His presence. You see, we are getting to the place, even as a church, where the only time we start talking often about the fact that God is in everything, we do it only on Sundays within these four walls. But do you believe that God is all the way through your life at every single juncture, at every single time? Who believes that? You know what, then live like that because you know what we need to do? We need to go. It's almost like, you know, those crime shows that you can watch on TV where they always have a detective scene where it's like um, where they dust the place for fingerprints. When was the last time you dusted your life for the fingerprints of God? When was the last time you stopped and you started thinking, you know what, I can see God everywhere through this? Why is it that we so quickly get through our lives and forget that God is in every line of our life like He is through the um, to Exodus chapter 2? And today I want to call on us to do that. Have you forgotten that God is in the detail? He actually cares about the detail, not just the big things like, you know, creating light or the earth or sending Jesus. He cares about the little things. He cares about you. Can you believe the timing in Exodus chapter 2? At the exact time, at the exact time that the mother went to push the basket is exactly the same time that God's like telling, it's like Pharaoh's daughter's like, take a bath now. Exactly at that time. It's like his show. And it's incredible, you know, because why is that important? For Moses to be brought up by his mum is not just a feel-good story. Because, of course, apart from being reunited with the one who cares about him most, what can he do now? He can learn about who he is. He can learn about his people and learn about God. And why is that important? Because when he goes back, you know, he's going to need to know that. And then why is it important he goes to Egypt? You might think, oh, why is that? Well, because he's going to get the education, the best education of how to work with the Egyptian courts. He's going to have to know how to negotiate through the Egyptian courts. Why is that important? Well, apparently that's pretty important because when it comes to the Exodus, that's how he leads out God's people. Have you done this with God? Have you forgotten to wake up in the morning and say, what has God got in store for me today? You know, every single morning we have this thing where my four kids, as they go to school, we let them out the door of the car. And what we do is 
the mo- it's really it's beautiful to watch them. The moment they get out, they've got this kind of rule that's been developing over the years, and they pray pretty much a similar prayer, and they pray by themselves, and they pray as they walk through the school gate. The, the line is, as they walk through the school gate, as they walk through the school gate, they start praying. And it's beautiful to watch them. Like um, As they walk through, they pray, and they pray, God, guide me through today. Lead me into the things you have prepared for me. And they're saying that as they walk through the gate, and it's just so beautiful to watch every single time. The other day, I actually was out of the car and I was walking in. So I actually walked with um, my, 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 uh, my girl, Caitlin. She's so cute, man. She's like, she's six years old and she starts praying. And so she, she doesn't really, for some reason, she doesn't know how to pray silently. The boys just pray silently, but she, she's like, I'm praying silently. Dear God, you know, she speaks it out. So, so that's all right. And so she goes in the school and it was just so cute watching her. She walked in, she, I could hear her pray. It was just beautiful. And she was trying to put her school bag on um, because um, she got, you know, sometimes you get tangled with a backpack and you can't find the other arm. And she was doing that and her eyes were closed she, because she was praying. And, but she couldn't do her backpack. She was just gorgeous. So she spent about, she had a long prayer the day, about 30 seconds, with, but she kept her eyes closed because she didn't want to interrupt the prayer. So she was going, dear God, and she was just, the whole time, you know, just going through, dear God, lead me through today, guide me through today. And it was just beautiful. And all the people walking past, like, this is weird. What's going on? You know, and she's just praying. And we're just saying, and I love that because the way they start their day is already saying God's in this. Why is it that as we get older, we forget that? Do you understand, guys, that God is everywhere in this story? You know, can you imagine what it would like be like to be God in this story? I mean, some of us here like to be in control. Who likes being in control? Let's be honest. Pretty much all human beings. We love to be in control. We love to be able to set our world up in an orderly way so that we can work out how things go. Imagine if you were God. Don't do it for too long or lightning bolt will hit you. But, uh, right, but just imagine you were God, and for just for a moment, and imagine if your plan, you've got a plan, and your plan is to save the world, do you realise that at one moment in history, right, one moment in history, God's entire plan for saving the whole world was riding down the Nile River in a little basket. I'll tell you what I would do. If I was God and I'm just freaking out because that's my, my whole plan is in this little basket. You know, there's, there's crocodiles and, I, I, you know, there's, where's it going to go? The, 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 the waves are bring it wherever. I mean, I jump in. That's what I do. I grab it. I mean, we don't know where the basket's going to go. You know, I'll tell you what God thinks in that situation. God's looking there. Oh, the, tide, the tides, where's, it gonna, where's the current going to? I control the currents. That's God, right? I, I move the water. I bounce the water molecules to get... Is that even how currents work? I don't know. But like, I, like, I, <laughs> I, make the, I make the water move. And you're thinking, but, but there's crocodiles. There's crocodiles in the Nile. He goes, I tell the crocodiles when to open their mouths. You see? And you see, that's the, that's the deal. Oh, but Pharaoh's daughter's coming down. God's like, I told her to. You know? You have to understand this. However frightening experience it might have been for Moses, he was never safer than when he was in that basket. What are you going through? Whatever situation you are in, if you are someone who is in Jesus Christ and has saved you, He saved you holding onto that bar and you believe that God is sovereign, then you are never safer. You are never safer than where you are right now. No matter what the world would tell you, no matter what Satan would tell you, you are never safer than where you are at right now because for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son for you. Because Romans 8 verse 32 says this, He who did not even spare His own Son, but offered Him up for him us all, how will He not also grant us everything? Amen? Amen. The two pillars are the things you need to hold on to. Everyone say salvation. salvation. Everyone say sovereignty. If you hold on to those things and you believe that, do you believe that God has saved you? Yes? yes. Do you believe that God is sovereign? Yes? yes? Then why don't you step boldly in faith? Because I want to say to you this, if you hold on to those things, you can step boldly in faith, which is what I'm going to finish on, which is talking about faith. You know, when it comes to the great people of faith in the Bible, there's a place where you can go, right? Some of you guys know that chapter. Some of you guys know that chapter. You know, um, 
I don't know if you play sport very much, if you're a sporty person. I'm not really, you know, I, I'm Asian. I don't really play sport. I play ping pong, you know, <laughs> ping pong. Chess, is chess a sport? I don't know. No. You know, the only sport I even watch, to be honest, um, particularly, is um, uh, like, you know, I don't even watch club sport. I watch like maybe if there's the representatives, you know, like the, like the dream team in the basketball, you know, like when all the best of the best are on on the court at the same time. I love that kind of all-stars kind of thing. Now, if you were to pick, if you were to pick the all-stars of the Bible, the all-star team, I'll give you 10 places, right? You can pick anyone, any character in the whole of Scripture and you're on the selection committee. Who are you going to pick? You can pick anyone. Okay, who you want? I mean, okay, Jesus is team captain. None, all right? So, okay, so, so, none. Jesus is team captain. All right, <laughs> Who do you want on? Come on, name me some people. Who do you want on? Heroes of faith, like the all-stars of faith, the people who just really, yeah, who do you want? Moses, Moses is on. <laughs> good, good answer. David. Paul's got David is on. I mean, you know, I mean, I mean just, man, look at you guys. You're flying names at me. This is amazing. You know, of course, Moses in there leads people out of, out of uh, uh, slavery. You've got, who did you say? Paul. I mean, you know, wrote the New Testament, most of it. <laughs> you, know, um, you know, David, greatest king of Israel. Who else do you want on? I mean, you know, there are so many people you can put on. In fact, you don't even need a guess, actually. You can go to Hebrews chapter 11, and you don't have to go there now, but let me just tell you this. In there, you will find a list of the heroes of faith in the Bible, the roll call of faith. Man, to make that list, my goodness. I mean, you are like, you are like a faith all-star if you're on that list. Let me tell you who's on that list, right? You've got people like this. Noah, of course whole world saved through him and his family, you know? Um, uh, who else is on the list? Abraham, obviously, you know? Don't know how to, I don't even know what to say about him, you know? The whole Bible turns on the promise in Genesis 12 verse 3, you know? Right? Yeah. Done, right? The, the whole thing's there. Who is there? Joseph, you know? Uh, protects the whole people through famine by, 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 by running Egypt, you know? Uh, uh, David's in there. I mean, come on, you got Noah, Abraham, Joseph, David, Samuel. What else does it say? All the prophets. That's cheating. Can't say all the prophets. Noah, Abraham, <laughs> Joseph, David, Samuel. Let me tell you who else is there. Ready? You ready for it? He was 11, chapter 11, verse 23. Right there, alongside Noah. Abraham, Joseph, David, Samuel is Moses' mum. And you're like, what? (laughs) You're like, I don't even know her name. You know? It's just Moses' mum is there. And I understand that I always read Scripture through Scripture. So what that means is, if I want to, un- I-, I believe Old Testament is true and the New Testament is totally true. They're both totally true. So what happens is if you want to read the Old Testament, I read it sometimes through the New Testament. Does that make sense? So for example, if I want to understand what's going on through Moses' mum head, mum's head in Exodus chapter two, it tells me that she's a, a woman of f- real mega faith. And so what happens to me is this, when I find out about that, I read this Exodus cho- sto- chapter two story differently. Do you know what I've come to believe? I believe that this mother had real faith. That she doesn't believe that this child is about to get murdered or this child is about to be gobbled up by a crocodile. She believes in total faith that he's going to be fine. She wouldn't have sent, she wouldn't have sent a, the, the daughter to go and watch it if, if, that's, if that's the case. Let me tell you what she is. She is a woman of faith. And let me tell you, I actually really believe that as she came to the edge there with the basket and she pushes that basket out in the Nile, I believe that she holds on to these two things. She holds on to the fact that her God is sovereign. She holds on to the fact that her God has promised to save. And that she does that in faith. And I don't think she's saying, go and watch how the baby's going. I think she says, go and see what God would do. You want to go and see God do something? You go and watch what will happen now as this goes out. You see, that was a mum of faith. That was a mum of faith. I want to ask you, do you know God's salvation? Do you know God's sovereignty? If you do, let me tell you what you can do. You can step boldly in faith. You know, as the music has come up and display, what I'm going to do is this. I'll tell you a couple of stories. First one's about my girl, Caitlin. And she is um, six years old, as I told you, very cute. And I remember the first time, actually, I'll tell you one about Alyssa. Alyssa, they do the same thing anyway. So Alyssa, she's now four. 
He's four. And they're so cute. Let me tell you what happens. Alyssa, um, when, they, when you teach them how to swim, so Demi and Dexter, you got this ahead of you, mate. This is, I tell you, right, there's a crazy moment that happens where it's really dangerous. See, when they know they can't swim, that's okay. Because if they know they can't go in, they, near the pool, they'll just stay with you anyway, right? But, and when they can swim, fine, right? You, just, you guys are just hanging out beside the pool, holding hands like you normally do, and babies, are, not baby, kids off swimming, <laughs> Unless, unless your baby's Michael Phelps. So, so and, um, and, and baby's off. I mean, kid's off swimming. Now, I'll tell you when the danger moment is. The dangerous moment is when the kid can't swim but thinks they can swim. That is a freak out moment for a mum and dad, right? That's like, that's when you're like totally freaking out. And so um, we've had moments where it's like been a few scares. And so what happens is we have this rule. And the rule is that before you jump in the pool, you've got to check whether mummy and daddy are ready, right? So you've got to check that daddy's ready. And so it's just, um, and how do we do that? Because we're juggling four kids, right? So we might be in the pool somewhere a bit further on and they want to jump in the pool. And we say, no matter what it is, and I take this very seriously, is that whenever you, before you jump, you've got to get to the edge of the pool and you have to say, literally say the line, ask the question, daddy, are you ready, right? Before you jump in. And she takes it so seriously and she's gorgeous. Alyssa, my four-year-old, she's in that zone right now. And she, she comes to the edge of the pool. And um, just before she jumps in, you can hear it. Like she's, it doesn't even matter if we're close. Right? I'll be right there. And she goes, she takes it very seriously. She, goes, she yells out in the public, public swimming pool, right? She goes, Daddy, are you ready? And it's just the most amazing thing. She says, Daddy, are you ready? And sometimes I'm not. I'm like, no, I'm not. Wait there. And sometimes I'm there. And you know what? My fav- one of my favourite dad moments is when she says, Daddy, are you ready? And I'm in the pool down here, right? And she's up there. And she says, Daddy, are you ready? And I don't know what it is about this. But that moment, and I look up in her eyes, and all I need to say is, yes, I'm ready. And it's like the moment... I say the word yes. It's like she doesn't think about it. It's just, I just said yes. And then she just jumps off like a ballerina, right? Into the water with not a care in the world. How can she do that? How can she do that? You know, the truth is she looks at me and what goes on for her is she goes, well, does daddy love me? And she's like, you know, daddy would do anything to, daddy would do anything to look after me. Is that true? I'm like, yes, I will. And she looks at me and she goes, you know, daddy's big and strong and he can control all things. And it's not true, but for the illustration, we'll just keep going, right? But, (laughs) right. But for from her, she's like, daddy can do that. He he can fix situations. Daddy, daddy loves me. And so what happens is because she says that, she just jumps. And so many of you come to the edge when it comes to your faith and you know God is calling you out. You know God wants you to be bold. You know God wants you as a church to step out there and you come right to the edge of faith and you think, okay, I know what God wants me to do and you sort of go, God, are you ready? And God's like, I'm ready. I sent my son for you. But God can control everything. God's like... I made the world. I give you your very next breath. I control everything. And we kind of go, cool, you're ready. Great. And then we kind of walk off. (laughs) We walk back. Why don't you jump? What does it look like to live with bold faith? What does it look like to be bold in your faith? As I finish, I'll just tell this. Naomi and I got asked to go on a trip. And... um, it was a really intense trip. I'll tell you what, I'll never forget the day that this CEO of a not-for-profit organization came and said to Naomi and I about just about a year and a half ago, two years ago, um, and they said, actually, it was just with me. We are having coffee. And he said, Steve, I've come to put a proposal to you. And I said, well, sure, what is it? I've never met this guy um, in person. And he said this, we would like to take you and your wife on a mission trip because we want you to start experiencing what it means to really live by faith. And I was like, okay, great. I'm thinking mission trip. I'm up for a trip. And I'll never forget that moment. 
I said, where are we going? And we're drinking coffee. And he said, okay. He said, we want to take you to Iraq. And at this point, I was like, what? You know, I was hoping for the Bahamas or the, you know, like, <laughs> he said, Iraq. And I said, and he's, well, he saw me. I was literally holding my coffee and I was just like, what? And then he said this, we're not going to any part of, just any part of Iraq. We want to take you and Naomi to a place that is 10 kilometers away from the ISIS headquarters. And we want you to go there and we want you to minister with people who have been persecuted by ISIS. And she said, and then he said, and we need you to sign these documents that you understand that there is a high likelihood that you may not come back alive. And I just was like totally flipping out. And I just, I remember walk, going home and thinking about this and then going home and Naomi was there in the kitchen cooking dinner or something. And I came into the kitchen. She says, how was your day? And I said, interesting. And she said, why? I said, well, someone wants to take us on a trip. And she says, she says, great, I'm in need of a holiday. <laughs> and I said, she said, she said, where are we going? Where are we going? I said, how does Iraq sound? <laughs> and she was like, her cooking's burning. And, and I'm saying, 10 kilometers away from ISIS, what do we do? And we prayed about it. And my goodness, it was hard with these four children. They're precious to us. I don't want to leave them. We have to sign their wills and all that kind of stuff if we're going to go. And I'll never forget that time when I was challenged already to step in faith because I had to ask, my children are my most precious possession. But does God care about them more than I do? If I have to sign this document that I might not come back alive, what does that mean for our kids? And I'm doing the whole kind of rational thing, oh, but wisdom call and blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. But God will look after my tomorrow. Yeah, but maybe it's not why. But God has said, do not worry about tomorrow. I've got it sorted. I care for your children more than you even care for your children. And so this point was a killer and we were praying about it. And in the end, we decided to go. I'm telling you, I'll never forget the moment. Like we went, we decided to go. I mean, we looked up the, um, you know, the smart traveler site, you know, the Australian traveler, you know, the insurance where you write things, it tells you like what level. And uh, we looked up, we put in Iraq. And, and, and let me tell you what it says. You put Iraq in, it said, at that time it said, it said, first line, do not travel under any circumstances. Right? Next line says this if you are taken hostage, the Australian government accepts no responsibility. Right? And I'm just like, Close the tab. I was like, this is ridiculous. Everything rational says don't go, but we knew that God was wanting us to go. And so we hopped on that plane and I'll never forget that moment of flying in over the war zone because we were told in the train that if we're going to die, we're probably actually more likely going to die from the surface to air missiles because only one airline is going in and out. Every other airline is stopped because they're getting shot at. So this one airline is going in to Iraq and I remember that moment when we hopped on the plane. By the way, getting out to the airport was a... Naomi turned, almost turned back three times. She was in tears. We were in tears. Do you know what saying goodbye to our children was like that day? It was the worst. And we just, all we could do is was hang on to the truth that God loves them. And so we get on that plane. As we're going down over the war zone, I just remember that moment. I looked out the window. No one's on that. I mean, it's just us and a whole bunch of US military soldiers on the plane just going in for their thingo. And I was just looking off the plane just thinking, this is madness. We're about to go and I was start to freak out, right? I'm starting to, I'm, and, I'm, and I put my earphones in to start listening to oceans. <laughs> I listen to oceans. I'm just like, you know, take me deeper where my phone and I wonder. And I'm there like freaking out. I'm just listening to oceans. I'm looking at the war zone. Like anyone down there about to shoot me? And I'm just freaking out. And at one point, I'm just so scared. I kind of I reach over to reach my wife's hand, but her hand wasn't there. And I was like, looking across and her hand's right. <laughs> you know, and I'm just like, this is crazy. And I remember going in, we made it through the wars and we landed down there. And then they took us to that place that was closer and closer to Mosul, up the northern part of Iraq, 10 kilometers away um, from, uh, from where ISIS headquarters were. And I'm going to tell you, our lives got changed forever. We met people there whose faith was so alive. Faith was so alive that I would, I, I cannot even explain to you what their faith is like. I went there expecting to see a bunch of scared Christians. That's what you should be when ISIS is around the corner. 
Instead, I found a group of Christians who were on fire for Jesus. You know, let me tell you, I'll finish with a story about this. My, the translator there, I said, tell me a story about something that's happened. Right? Just everyone seems to have a story of, of, of someone got raped or someone got, 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 got murdered or, 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 or someone's got taken hostage. It's just horrendous. Now we're in the refugee camps and everyone has lost everything. All the Christians have lost everything because as soon as, um, as, soon as, anyone, as, soon as ISIS comes to the town, they, they put a gun to people's head and they basically say, convert to Islam. If not, then we'll take everything and you run or we'll kill you on the spot. That's it. And so there's all these refugee camps and we go in there and I'll tell you, this translator, she tells a story. I said, tell me anything. She goes, right, which story do I tell you? I said, just tell me anyone. And she says, all right, I'll tell you about my best friend. I said, she said, her best friend is her pastor. And I said, tell me about what happened. And she says, my pastor's in the town and he has a wife and he has five children. And she said, one day ISIS came in and they received, they, they put aside special treatment for pastors. What they did was they came in and they took my friend. She said, at this point she starts getting emotional. And I said, it's okay. If you're willing, you can keep t- talking. And she says, I'm more worried about how you're going to handle it. And I said, I think we'll be okay. Go for it. And she said, all right, I'll tell you. But she said, promise to tell this story. I said, okay, I will. So here I am keeping that promise. And she says this. They take my pastor and they bring him to a room, 12 ISIS militants. And they put him there and they get him on his knees. And they say this. It's 12 on one, right? They're fully armed. And they say this, convert to Islam and deny Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what he does. He looks them at their eyes, in their eyes, and he says this I will never deny my Lord Jesus Christ. They get angry and they say it one more time. We give you one more chance. Deny Jesus Christ and convert to Islam or you will be a dead man. And he says it louder. I will never deny my Jesus Christ. He held on to salvation in a way that you don't know what it means to hold on to salvation. We say, yeah, yeah, God saved us. I'll hold on to it. He held on to it. Do you understand? He held on to God's sovereignty. Do you understand? In a way that we don't know what it means to say God's in control. But he looks at 12 ISIS militants and he knows God's totally in control right now. And so he says, I will never deny my Lord. And you know what he does to build up his confidence in salvation and confidence in sovereignty? He starts singing hymns at them. He starts singing of Jesus Christ at them. And he sings it to himself and he sings it over them. And they go crazy. And that infuriates them. So they cut off his arms at the elbows. And to deal with the pain, you know what he does? He sings even louder at them. He sings of his faith to rise up. He sings of his hope to believe. And this infuriates them even more. See what they do? They cut off his legs at his knees. As he screams in pain, he continues to sing at them and sing at them with their faith. They can't stop him singing. He can see his maker, that's why. He can see his saviour. This is what they do. They can't stop him singing, so they cut out his tongue. They take his tongue, they put it in his pocket. When they're done with fun with him, they cut off his head. And what they did was they take him and they put him in a bag. And they're so cruel, they're evil. I'm telling you, it's so evil. They take the bag and they put it on a particular corner in the street. You know what they do? If they haven't had enough evil already done for the day, they call the wife and they say, we've decided to let your husband go. You can go and find him on this corner. So the wife is in prayer meetings and stuff. They, they, with some hope, they run out there and they find the bag and... In the back, you see the mutilated remains of her husband, except on the top was a DVD. And on the DVD, it says, watch this, this is how we killed him. And do you know what that mother and their children are doing right now in Iraq? I'll tell you what they're doing. 
they are boldly proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. They are boldly telling this story and they're going around and they're going around and they're seeing people convert to Christianity, people from Islam even converting. They are so bold right now, they don't care. They hang on to salvation, they hang on to sovereignty and they believe in God's plan and that is what real faith looks like. We have it so easy here. I met one man and you know what he said? He lost everything. He was a medical doctor. He lost everything. And he's lost his, um, uh, all his stuff. And his five kids and wife, they ran. They ran before ISIS could catch them. They left everything. And you know what happened? He's now holding a house church in the refugee camps, right? And that church is growing. It's growing and people are converting. And you know what he says to me? He says, Steve, you know what? He says, before ISIS came, he said, I was a Sunday Christian. I just went through the motions. I just went through work during the week and then I went to church. I went to work and I went to church. Sound familiar? And he said this, this is a powerful line, man. Ready for it? This is his line and he's asked me to tell his story. So here I am. We're really glad because the ABC took this, picked this up and interviewed us about this. And now that all of the nation, a lot of the nations heard this. So here it is. And I told him straight, I didn't, on the ABC, I just said, here is what he said about Jesus. He said, before ISIS came, I was a Sunday Christian. Going to church, just in and out. He said, after ISIS came, my faith in Jesus Christ has become alive. And he said this line. So for me, ISIS is a gift. He says, fantastic. Because my faith is up. My faith is risen up. Amen. That's your brother speaking. And I'll never forget the moment when I said to him, I was just overwhelmed by that to the point of tears. And I said, how can we, how can we pray for you? I'm the West, West, in the Western church. How can we pray for you? We need to pray for you. And he looked, I'll never forget the moment. He looked at me so confused, like what? And he said, he was really, he goes, oh, that's, he said, he's trying to kind of patronize him. He said, oh, that's very kind. Thank you for praying. But he said, actually, we're holding prayer meetings at the moment for you. And we're saying, what? I said, what? He said, we're holding prayer meetings for the Australian church. I said, why? He said, we're really concerned about the Australian church at the moment. We're really worried. I said, why? He said, we think you guys are in trouble because you're starting to fall asleep as a church. You've forgotten what it means to live boldly for Jesus. We're worried about you. We think you're falling asleep. And so we want to, we've been calling on God to wake you up. And I said, really? And he said, it gets worse. By the way, if you don't want me to sense, I was going to sense the next bit, but I'll, I'll just tell you. He said, we've actually been praying for persecution to come. We've been praying for persecution to come for you guys in the West if that's what it takes to wake you up and have your faith purified and have your faith alive for Jesus. We're over here and the most we're scared of is what will our peers think? What will our reject? A little bit of rejection, a little bit of this. You know what it is? We have to live boldly for Jesus. Amen. What would it look like to live for Jesus? What would it look like to go all out for Him? So today, here's what I want to do. I want to ask you guys to please consider living boldly for Jesus. And some of you here today need to give your lives to Jesus for the first time. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to everyone please here to bow their heads and close their eyes right now. 